verses 10 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. It reads as such. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do once again come to You and, and indeed ask for Your blessing upon this time that my words would would be yours that I wouldn't err that truly what you have for your children tonight would be spoken and received and applied and all by your grace for we rely upon you have thine own way in Jesus name Amen So indeed, Ephesians chapter 6 is our text tonight, verses 10 through 20, and I uh, entitled the sermon, Stand Fast and Take Ground. So if you have your Bibles with you and would like to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, please do so. It's such a well-recognizable portion of Scripture, isn't it? And um, maybe one of the most taught and preached upon. And um, I didn't really want to reteach anything necessarily and asking the Lord for something fresh. Not new knowledge, but fresh application um, is, is how I, I came at it. And, and so this idea of, of standing fast and taking ground... Um, is what I came up with in that if we are to advance, we must um, we must stand firm and fast in what the Lord has given us to do so for His sake, for the kingdom of God. We will talk further about that as we as we go along. I'm reading from the New King James tonight. Um, 
So verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So, what Paul's doing is he's finishing up here. He's ending this letter to the church in Ephesus. That's why we get this finally. Here's one last thought. It's not just the last thought. I don't believe. I think it's something to bring everything together. Um, I was very blessed by the fact that Pastor Danny this morning taught out of Ephesians 5. I had no idea he was going to do Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And even gave like a summary, a quick overview of Ephesians as he did. And I thought, well, this is appropriate. <laughs> um, and I was thankful for that. So when he says, finally, my brethren, what he's saying here is, Essentially, we know from Ephesians 1 through 3, you've been told who you are, what the Lord has done on your behalf. You've been told what to do in Ephesians 4 through 6 up to this point based on who you are. Now that you know who you are, here's what to do. So Ephesians starts off telling us all these beautiful things, these precious promises of the work of God in our lives. And then in Ephesians 4 and following up until this point, and even here we are given commandment, we are told, now act in this manner, live in this way, based on what I have just told you. And now here in Ephesians 6 verse 10, here's the how to do, what to do, knowing who you are. Here's the how. So finally, my brethren... Now, when he says the brethren, he's saying to all the saints, all who are Christ's, all who are raised up with him, made alive, who were dead, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Finally, you who fit into Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, who I've commanded in Ephesians 4 and 5, my brethren, be strong. So... We know that there is a strength that is going to be required and necessary of these brethren that Paul is speaking to. It's not just any strength, but it's strength most specifically here in the verse, verse 10, in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Right. So how? How is one to be strong? It's in the Lord. It's not in our own strength, as I alluded to in one of my prayers. We know from John chapter 15, when the Lord speaks of the Father, His Father, ours, being the vine dresser, the husbandman, and Him being the vine. He goes on further to say that we can do nothing apart from Him. So that sounds like um, apart from God, we are pretty darn weak. Not only weak, but incapable. Um, no potential. <laughs> Here's a pep talk. <laughs> so, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Paul uses very similar language in Ephesians chapter 1 when he's praying for the church in Ephesus. His prayer there, if you would like to turn there, it's in verse 
1.19, Ephesians 1.19, Paul's prayer is that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Very similar language there. So finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Um, I love that Paul uses the resurrection as an example of the power of God in chapter 1, and that's what we are to look to. Um, God is very powerful, and He can accomplish whatever He deems to. In fact, He created everything out of nothing. He is sovereign, and nobody can thwart His plans and His will. But what we are to hold on to as an example of God's power is the power that raised Christ from the dead and and seated Him next to God the Father. And it continues in verse 21 of chapter 1, "...far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all." And so here we see this mention of powers and principalities and might and dominion and so forth and we got we get to start to see as Paul will continue in chapter 2 and he speaks again later on in the epistle besides in our passage tonight of this unseen of Satan and and the angels that fell with Satan and the war that is going on that is intangible in our physical understanding, but very real to Paul and, of course, to God and should be, therefore, real to us. Back in chapter 6, Paul instructs in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So there is specificity to being strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And that is the whole armor of God here. Now, I think that actually one of the wiles, one of the schemes and the plans of our enemy of Satan himself is to have us think that we know about the armor. We know what's available. We can explain it. We might even say we possess it even though perhaps it's not in use, but it's right there. Or perhaps we might know of it and be able to explain it and talk about it and have a certain knowledge and maybe only dress ourselves with some of it. None of these things are enough. And I feel like when we find um, satisfaction in such knowledge, we've fallen trapped to the wiles of the devil. Because Paul says, if we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, we are to take up the whole armor of God. 
If we're not to fall prey to the devil's schemes, we need to obey this and put on the whole armor of God. If we are to stand in the strength of God spoken of, we must follow what we're told to do. And it's as simple as this. If not, if we don't, then we will fall prey to the schemes of the devil. Peter talks about Satan in a verse that we're very familiar with. It's 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he has certain plans. He has certain schemes. Now let me just say it for clarification's sake. I really highly doubt that Satan himself is anywhere near Limington. And what Paul is saying here and what Peter is saying here is the more broad of Paul's explanations of, um, you know, well, uh, verse 12, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, When we think of Peter's warning to be sober and vigilant because our adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, we would be foolish to say something of the sort. Well, Satan's not here, so I'm not going to be sober or vigilant. But what he's speaking of more specifically is the kingdom of Satan and those who follow him, who fell with him, a third of the angels. Not just him himself. But indeed, he has a plan and it is to devour. Satan's scheme is our demise and destruction. Now we know, turn to Romans 8 please, we know that he cannot take away our salvation. Right? That cannot be destroyed. Nothing or nobody, not even Satan can. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 to the end of the chapter, reads, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in verse 38, Paul mentions here angels, or nor principalities, nor powers. But the thing that wraps it all up is that in 39 he says, nor any other created thing. So we must know that although Satan is walking about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour, he, he cannot devour and separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He cannot bring demise to that. That's not the devouring that Peter is talking about. 
And Satan does not just have free reign to do whatever he wants. There is no such thing as a sovereign Satan living in the same in the same world in the same universe as a sovereign God. Satan is a created being under the control of our sovereign God, and and he does nothing outside of the sovereign will of your Father, dear brothers and sisters. But it is still that Father who, by the Spirit and through the Apostle, warns us. Isn't it? So we should take heed. I think I do. And I think I should more. So, although your life in Christ cannot be taken, certain aspects of it will be targeted. That is for sure. Now, think of Ephesians in particular. And think of the Christian walk, per se. And the church, specifically. Uh, even the offices of the church. And stand in front of the mic, sorry. The offices of the church and the work of the church. Right? Jesus gave gifts to men upon his ascension, and he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and so forth, that those might, what? Train up the church for the work of the ministry. Satan doesn't want that to happen. He can really get in there and scheme and, and have his wiles and plan and, and mess that up. Not only your walk, but the church, the local church. But what about your children? What about your parents? What about your marriage? Satan can attack that. Satan will attack that. What about your job? What about your place in the community? You see, Satan can't touch your relationship with Christ when it comes to a final severance from it. That will never happen. But he will target you. And that's what we're told to be on guard against and to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and to stand fast so that when those attacks come, well, we can stand. Verse 12 in Ephesians 6. Paul says here, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against the seen, but the unseen. Have you ever thought how ironic it is that Paul himself is saying this? Because Paul has dealt with so much flesh and blood wrestling. Hasn't he? Paul the Apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. And I don't think this is even a complete list. Here's what Paul says here. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, 
and weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes up upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. It starts off pretty specific with his list being being given 40 stripes minus one from the Jews five times and so forth. But when he gets into verse 26, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 11, we just see all these generalities of perils. What are the specifics of these things? Perils in waters, perils of robbers, perils of his own countrymen. So there's some things going on in each one of these things. My point is that when Paul was given 40 lashes minus one five times, those whips were hitting his flesh and his blood. So if we're to listen to to somebody, we should listen to him. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The Apostle says. against principalities, against powers, and so on. And not to mention, he's in jail writing this very letter. This isn't Paul's only mention of, of the demonic realm, so to speak, in Ephesians. We already talked about it in chapter 1, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, of us and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and here is here it is in which you once walked according to the course of the world of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others so Satan here is called the prince of the power of the air, the one who is working in the sons of disobedience, that group of which we all once belonged. So, but what Paul is saying that with what he went through, all of that physical experience. I couldn't imagine 40 stripes minus one one time, but five times, and by the Jews nonetheless, and beaten with rods over and over, and all of these things. He's saying, with his experiences in life for the Lord, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But with someone who went through that, maybe one's advice would be some sort of physical protection, or at least a physical warning. But no, he doesn't even say be ready for physical anything. But with all the flesh that he's dealt with, the flesh and the blood in his life, so to speak, it's not the root of the warfare, and that's what he's trying to tell us. There's unseen spiritual forces at work. Continuing on in verse 13 in Ephesians 6. So he says now, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, and this was already mentioned Back in verse 11, where he said, put on the whole armor of God as an explanation to how we are to 
Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we're breaking down here the explanation with the specificity. How are you to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might? Well, you're to put on the whole armor of God. And here, well, how are you to, to do this in more detail? He's going to go on in verse 14 and further and explain what that is. So now the armor in verse 14. Here's how you are to stand. And I'd like to say that standing has nothing to do with being stationary. Standing has everything to, everything to do with victory. It's not just standing. It's not stationary. It's not falling down in light of an attack from our enemy. So, what I'm not going to do, because I know it's hard to go really deep into these things with a half an hour, you know, time frame, is explain every single one of these aspects of the armor of God. There's no time for that. But we'll read through it. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, Girded your waist with truth. The belt of truth is what will hold everything together. And truth is not just truth as in truth versus lies. I think it is that. But I think it also has to do with, with an honesty of life and a trueness and a surety and a not double-mindedness. And you are who you are. You're not a pretender. And to the best of your ability, you are a Christian according to Ephesians 1-3. through 3, And that's how you live. That's holding everything up. The breastplate of righteousness... It's covering your vital organs and it's the righteousness of whom your Savior Christ Jesus that was given to you because He became sin for you who knew no sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. It means that not only are we to be ready to share the gospel of peace because we're having our shoes on, and when you get your shoes on, what do you do? You're getting ready to go. I don't know how many times it is said in my house, get your shoes on. And why? Not because it's bedtime. Not because it's time to sit and relax. It's because we're leaving. There's seven of us. we got to go. Who doesn't have their shoes on? Let's get a move on. Well, as Christians, we are to have our spiritual shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Brothers and sisters, are we not only holding everything up with the trueness and the rightness and being protected by the righteousness of Christ, but ready to go and preach that gospel that Paul has already talked about? in this letter, even alone, but throughout Scripture. That gospel that has saved us, that has brought us peace between us and God. We were once enemies of God, but we are not anymore. We were once afar off, but now we have been brought near. As Paul says in the same epistle. So it's not only that we're ready to go. Your shoes on, you're ready to go. But it's also an understanding of peace personally enough that you can share about your peace with God. That's important. So we see the first offensive language here. So the belt is utility. 
The breastplate is is protection. The shoes, it's offensive. Like you're ready to go and to share. Because God engaged in great warfare, did He not, in order for us to have peace with Him. Verse 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So be fully persuaded of the truths of Scripture. Be fully persuaded in that by the grace of God, because faith is a gift. It has been delivered once and for all to the saints. There is no faith factory within the believer. It is a gift of God. And you are to, by His grace, have that shield of faith. Be persuaded that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen when Satan fires his fiery darts at you. And finally, verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation, and then it says also in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Know that you've been saved. Know that you're being saved. And know that you will be saved. And all of these different aspects of these of this armor of God, they are very interconnected and not only separate from each other. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and the context here is in the war against the wiles of the devil, isn't it? That's what Paul is talking about, and we can see that played out when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Continuing in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And this ends the passage on the armor of God. And even verse 18 doesn't really tie prayer into a piece of armor, but nonetheless, as it's all spiritual, prayer is part of the list, is it not? So when we look at the book of Ephesians and the glorious heights of our salvation and, and even that which we do not know now that we will grow into on this earth, but it's amazing that Paul says even forever we'll learn of His riches and grace and His kindness towards us in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Forever and forever and forever. God is inexhaustible. So that's, that's what we've been given. We know that we have part of it now, but we can look forward to that. And being whom God has made us to be in Christ, well, we're told how to live in certain ways, in certain aspects, our own walk, in our household, with our spouse, our parents, our children, at our workplace, in our community, and in our church. And Paul is saying Satan is going to seek to devour all of that and mess you up. So do this. Put on the whole armor of God. And if you do, you will stand. You will be able to withstand the devil in the evil day and you will be able to stand and like I said, not stationary, but victorious in Christ. More than conquerors, like Paul said in Romans chapter 8. Amen? It means to be firm, to stand. So then, verse 19 and 20, Paul ties this all together, I believe. He's in jail. 
And for him, he's focused on the gospel's advancement in this world. And I suppose that Paul, being one who would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul would be a practicer of what he's preaching, would he not? Sitting in chains for the gospel's sake. I think he is well aware and conscious of this armor of God that he's speaking of. Don't you? That's why I don't think the armor of God passage per se ends after praying always. I think we look at it as a continuance of what Paul is saying according to his experience in verse 19 when he says, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For even then, he's not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And indeed, fiery darts from the enemy are going at Paul. And he needs to be true in his life according to who God has made him. And he needs to be protected by the righteousness given to him by Christ and the salvation. He needs to know he has it. And he needs the Word of God. And he needs to pray always. And he says at the end of even 18, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, but then and for me. See, he is focusing on the advancement of the kingdom of God, is he not? He doesn't desire, even though he knows that he's going through a physical situation, it's, an, it's only a surface issue. The flesh and blood is only surface. Paul doesn't ask to be for prayer that he might break free from his chains, does he? He asks for prayer that he might be effectively used by God so that God might break the chains of those who are dead in their sins. Do you see that? What an example. You couldn't ask for a better one. One who is in physical chains doesn't say pray that these chains would be broken. He says pray that while I am bound physically, I might have victory in this spiritual war. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Satan has schemes to devour, but God has plans to bless. God has plans to give abundant life. While Satan, with his lion-like devouring plans, seeks to give abundant death. Abundant death in this church. Abundant death in your walk, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your job. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand. Now, the title of this sermon is to stand fast and to take ground. Now, we know that from Matthew chapter 16, if you'd like to turn there, I invite you. Matthew chapter 16, we have this interaction between Peter and between our Lord, where, where Jesus asks Peter who he is. He says in verse 15, 
who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter in Matthew 16, 16 says, he answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Let's stop right there for just a second. On this rock, I will build my church. What rock is Jesus referring to? Certainly not the beginning of the papal dynasty. That's for sure. What did Jesus just explain when he said flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven? The rock that the church will be built on is the gracious and independent, sovereign, loving choice of God to reveal himself to man. That's how the church will be built. Just like in the book of Acts where it says, and he added to the church daily those who were being saved. Just like Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who are being saved. First the Jew and then the Greek. But the fact that Peter did not come to this conclusion on him on his own, but it was a gift from heaven shows that the grace of God according to the purpose and the foreknowledge and the plan of God is what builds his church. And then he says, and here it is, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So think of Paul and his chains in Ephesians, right? When he's writing the letter and he just shared about putting on the whole armor of God and being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And right after that, he says, and pray for me so that I can be effective and bold and share the gospel. And yes, I'm in chains, but that's not what I'm worried about. Yes, this is physical, but I'm not focused on that. Jesus says that when he builds his church, it will be of the grace of God according to the choice of God. The gift of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail. When you think of this regarding a fight of some sort, I mean, how, how do you get in a fight with a gate? The only way a gate couldn't prevail or could prevail against somebody is that if you couldn't get through it, that's it. The only way a gate will prevail against somebody going up against that gate is if it's too strong for you to open so that you can enter in and walk through to whatever is on the other side of that gate that you want to get to. Well, this is the gate of hell. What? <laughs> well, remember, we're being strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And I say... When we bring what Jesus says about the church and the gates of hell not prevailing together with the warfare Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, that in that jail cell, wherever Paul was, I don't know if it was a cell or it was a, a house prison or I don't know what it was, but wherever he was in chains and being watched and guarded, he wasn't a free man. Well, every time God brought opportunity and brought somebody in there for Paul to preach the gospel to, guess what? There was a gate of hell right there. And Paul, by the will and the strength of God, according to the grace of God, would not be hindered by those gates so that he could walk through them 
and enter into... Go back to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Enter into Ephesians 2 in a different way from when he'd been there before. This is so important. This is what I pray for. Now, let's read this again. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were all in Ephesians 2 at one point as the dead, right? The prince of the power of the air was working in us and we were sons of disobedience according to our nature. We were children of wrath, just like everybody else. And according to that nature, we were just sinning and sinning and sinning against God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us and so forth in verse 4. But I want us to realize that Ephesians 2, 1-3 is not only in our past. It's also in our future. Because when we go through the gates of hell, we're going to go find other people who are right here. And God will use us to be a part of that. But God who was rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And you see, that's how we stand firm. And that's how we stand fast, victorious, and take ground at the same time for Jesus. Amen.